Hello, I'm Oriana Fox. Thank you for tuning in to Multiple O's, the spin-off podcast for my talk show, The O Show. The O Show is a live performance piece that mines the conventions of daytime TV talk shows for all that they're worth. It features artists and other experts who have no difficulty spilling the beans about their lives and opinions, especially when they defy norms and conventions. So if you're interested in candid confessions, non-conformity, creativity, and mental health, you've come to the right place. Hello listeners, Oriana here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Multiple O's. This one does something a little different from previous ones. It's an interview that I carried out long before I started the podcast. To be more precise, it was recorded in summer of 2017. Uh, That should give you a sense of the context. It was done as research, so it was not intended to be aired. Uh, Hopefully, it's listenable. Uh, In other words, like it wasn't recorded, you know, with optimum sound quality in mind. Uh, We've done the best we can to make it listenable. Thank you to Stacey Harvey for assistance in this. This episode is an interview with the artist Catherine Araniello, who's unfortunately no longer with us. Sadly, she passed away in 2019. Before I tell you a bit more about her, I just want to give a heads up that this episode includes profanities and references to adult topics. And if you know Catherine's work, that should come as no surprise. So if you're listening in front of people who might not be ready for that, do consider wearing headphones. It was important for me to find way a way to disseminate this material. As I said, it's the recording of Catherine Araniello, who was an artist, but she was also my friend and former boss. In fact, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be living in the UK. Uh, she was instrumental in me getting my last work visa which led to my becoming a permanent resident. I digress. Anyway, she was an artist who made essential and challenging work engaging with agency, disability, and the aesthetics of the body. Her work was politically fearless and infused with subversive humor. Importantly, under no circumstances would Catherine Araniello fall in line with what was expected of her. If she did, she did it in such a way that it was so over-the-top or so strange that it became, in her terminology, a head fuck. Sadly, as I said, she passed away back in February 2019, but she leaves behind a really rich body of work, and you can access it via her YouTube channel. I'm going to put links to that in the show notes. Thank you so much to Catherine's partner, Tracy Janaway her brother Alistair and mom Joan for giving their consent to share this material in this way. I'll start firstly by having Catherine Araniello introduce herself via a mashup of excerpts from her work. Here she is. Enjoy. I'm going to talk about me because I am someone that has a lot to say to you. is life. My disability is my art. Follow me on my journey to die. Swiftly moving on, I'm having such a nice day today. 
After a few months, she was diagnosed with a fatal crippling disease called spinal muscular atrophy. who is exceptional an overachiever motivated and clever but more importantly I'm special brave and I bring cheers of joy to people hello again so in this interview, I start out uh, talking with Catherine about the possibility of her being a guest on a future episode of The O Show. Sadly, that didn't come to pass. So again, another reason why I felt it was important to broadcast this interview in some way. So the first question I asked her was about her use of personas. She and I had that in common as artists. And, but I said to her that if she were to be a guest on The O Show, I'd want her to be herself. And this was Catherine's response. 
I don't know. I just think that I'm, I, I think personally, uh, I'm better at responding in a sort of persona as opposed to trying to justify and explain my work. So I just, I just feel that once I start trying to explain it, I sort of feel like I'm becoming a bit preachy and, and. Oh, yeah. I, I, okay. no, no, I do actually. And I'm trying to, I don't know, like I'm coming across as somebody who's really hot on this military politics and all the issues, but I actually don't think that I am. Yeah, I'm just sort of an artist that sort of responds to what, what's going on around me. And yeah. and yeah, when you worked for me, I was very much, um, you know, homing in on the whole sort of assisted suicide. Uh, you know, assisted suicide was a new, a new thing to me. But I have to be honest, I'm bored of it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like I can't bear keep... So now I'm more interested in... You know, awkwardness, playing the victim, and also, but you see, even now I feel that the way I'm talking is really, really, <laughs> really boring. So what oh, I do is I tend to, for example, the video, yeah. the video vlogs that you mentioned. Yeah, they are done in a really because I had a look at other video vlogs, and I um, and I just noticed how people, the way that people do them. One is they're real and they're really wanting you to either buy something because they might be selling makeup or something, or they just want to talk about their lives and really want people to subscribe and engage and to, and to follow them. And then I also watch some blogs, uh, blogs by a disabled person who sees himself as a sort of inspirational, motivational individual. So he's talking about disability. And I just thought, right, we're going to reverse everything here. And I thought, I'm going to do a vlog that is the most dullest, dreariest <laughs> thing that actually doesn't tell people about anything. And so to me, it's like it was like an art piece. So it's like a, 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 perform- an art, a performance to camera, but done in a way that it's so deadpan and so absolutely not say anything about anything. And also just hiring in on all those. So it doesn't even necessarily mention disability, but if it does, it just sort of goes on about it. And it's about, it's it's probably more exciting to watch paint dry than to listen to vlog. <laughs> but it was all it was all considered. That was that was what I wanted. Just to give another taste of what Catherine is describing here, here's another short excerpt from one of her riveting vlogs. Every day I do amazing things. For example, today I had a cup of tea. I got up. I came downstairs. I checked my emails. And I looked at my animals. And I said hello to them. And then after that some post came. And it wasn't for me, it was for somebody else. And so after that, I went back to the computer and continued to check my emails. And now back to the interview. And I really like doing it because it sort of suits. I wanted it to be flat. I wanted it to be not animated at all. And so I started doing the vlogs 
a while ago. I sort of stopped doing them at the moment. I still like doing them. And then also Facebook for me, for me that is really good at getting inspiration for work because so <laughs> many people want to make postings about um, oh they use it as a personal diary. Or they tell you like whether what hospital they're in, they're waiting in A and E, they're about to have their blood taken, and it's like fucking hell. So what I do is I just all this stuff that I've got really access to, I then create work from. And I guess, I don't know, it's like, I, I make work because I turn the dial into something that even what I find interesting. It's like turning it around and it covers so lots, lots of things. I wouldn't know where to start. It's like my website, I recently... I've been working on it a bit lately and just, is that like, in a way, creating a, is that, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't try to explain anything on it. It comes across as maybe quite flippant, but, but there, there's, there's stuff on it that I've put little uh, um, paragraphs under some of the videos that don't tell anybody anything. So that, you know, it doesn't actually. I noticed that. I think I just looked at the stuff rather yeah. than the descriptions. So yeah. it's just, you know, oh, I've literally just lifted so it. So that's part of the persona thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I went to Stanford University recently, I was invited as a visiting lecturer, I think they call it, and I went into the theatre space and did a, a talk. And so what I did is I I put on a persona and so I said, oh, hi, yeah, th- thank you for inviting me here today. And it was quite a struggle to get here. And actually, it's amazing that I got here anyhow because, um, and, and so I play the victim. So I play this person who is really lucky to be alive and I hope with all the sort of stereotypical imagery that one might have on disability and then I integrate my work to it. So then, for example, I was like, yeah, and part of one of the things that I like doing, one of my hobbies, is I like to draw. And I did a little drawing, animated drawing recently. And I showed them the wow, sick pitch clips, thing which is animated stick. But what happens, like, what do people buy into that persona? Because, like, that happens Some with my people. persona. People just believe that, that Osho character. They just think that's me. And they just get, they don't even recognize me. It, it confuse them. Yeah, so, some people, yeah, I mean, some, do people just buy that, that, that and then that, that, they not get the critique? Some people, some people get it. Yeah. And some people don't. Yeah. And I just think, if they want to know, if they want to know about it, go onto my website, read my blog, and then it will put things into perspective. Okay. So it will put So you're making them work for it. Absolutely. <laughs> people don't listen if we try to lecture. Right. Oh, I, I, see. I believe that it, the listening... I believe that you create a humour that people may or may not engage in. Yeah, because I guess if you talk to me and I give off the persona as a victim, people will believe it. Yeah. Right, it can be quite amusing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is it is a it is a challenge. And it's also getting in complete opposition to how I really feel. 
But I sort of like reversed it because gave everything some research. Right, because you don't want to be preaching at them. Like, no, because right. it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. So I I looked at some disabled motivation speakers, which is quite hot in America. Oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, oh. yeah. Because these individuals see themselves as special, yeah, or as something people that have been given something to be able to give it back, or yeah, encourage, or infuse, or motivate, stimulate, inspire, yeah, and all that shit, yeah. And that's what I, I, I so I, I've reversed, reversed it. So I go there and I am uninspiring. I do not motivate. <laughs> I talk in a very deadpan way. Yeah. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to make people laugh or anything. But of course, naturally how I do it does create a reaction. Yeah. But yes. What some, reaction is that? Some people got it, some of the students were confused. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and some of them got the subversion. Yeah. Um, and some of them just didn't know. They didn't understand how. But it made them arise. You know, I think the stereotypical response, unfortunately, is it starts to put people into memory lane. When they think about their mother who's got Parkinson, that grandmother who's <laughs> in a wheelchair. Right. You know, that, that's, that's, that's a given. If you're a disabled person and people see you, it, it, it starts to, mm. you know, create memories to that, for those individuals. Yeah. Because they're trying to make connections. Yeah. If they haven't met a disabled person or had close interaction, and they've only seen the really bullshit that yeah. pumps out at them all the time. And, of course, they're in a, in a place of disarray. So I just had to... Push that disarray even further. Um, and yeah, what are we talking about? <laughs> I wanted to talk about um, <clears throat> about how you dress and how you do your hair. <laughs> yeah, you see, the thing is, I'm regular, and I just thought, well, I'm not actually. It's just my style. Uh huh. Always... Just your style. No, no, no because I've always. Yeah, how, but you have uh, style, like I don't have any style. Well, you do, you choose <laughs> to dress like that. No, no, because I um, I think I've always been conscious of how um, the, um, the the fashion industry, whatever they try to, first of all, they create gender-specific clothing, and so you must dress like this, or this is for girls, and this is for boys, this perfume is... So that whole sort of commodity thing, I've always been... Consciously not not ever going to you know engage with that or or comply with it. It's about compliance. Yeah. So you know I prefer men's perfume to women's perfume because women's perfume is very sweet. It's nothing to do with me. It's it's in my consciousness. I just I will not be dictated to yeah. to how I should dress or what I should wear or the fact that my hair is red sticking up at the age of 51 is probably inappropriate to someone of my age. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Yeah. Because I can't bear to be, you know, I, I'm always, always, I wear male shirts, not because I'm trying to say I'm neither male nor female, but it's because 
it's a fact, you know, because my scoliosis is actually, because real shirts are bigger, and I do prefer the design. Mm. So it, it's for those probably very disinterested reasons, but I'm not sort of going out there sort of to see, asking people to look at me in a particular way because I I was very self-conscious from a young age whilst we, you know, uh, whilst we just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and people staring at me, but I got over it. Yeah. And now I just don't, I'm oblivious. Right. Of course I'm aware of it, but it just doesn't, it doesn't touch me. It doesn't, it doesn't make me feel, you know, it doesn't destabilise me or, it, it just, it, you know, people could just, yeah, so, but also I think that there's a, there's a sort of, there, there's a hypocrisy going on because if I'm doing things that are, say, playing the victim, but I look as I do, then I don't look like a victim. So that's a bit of a mind fuck as well. Yeah. I think for the spectator. So I, I sort of like... I think I like just sort of rearranging everything so that people are, it's sort of, there's never any clear, definitive conclusion or, I don't know. Yeah, you call attention to your appearance because people are going to stare anyway, you know. So you're sort of like saying, they're staring at me because of my hair, not because of my... Well, but you see, when I I was on holiday, uh, um... Some people did say to me, they made a statement. See, this is the thing, is that the assumption is that if you look outrageous or you look different, like, for example, my hair, that it's something that you're doing purposefully or it's like you're trying to say something, but what if I'm not? Where does it sit? Yeah, it's like... You know, it so you think you're just doing it out of habit now? No, not, not out of habit. No, I'm doing it because it's it, it's it's part of my identity. Yeah, it's how it's how it's how it is. Yeah, it's like if if I said to you, why do you dress the way you do? Yeah, it, what can you say about that? Have you chosen to look? Oh, I can the way say something do? about it. I think it's like a, okay. for me, it's like I'm wanting to be invisible. Okay. Think more than, or yeah, not, I, I, not I, I, I think that I am invisible, irrespective right. of whether my hair is like this or not. But it is nice. I mean, I'm not doing it to draw public attention. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really yeah. am not. I really am not. Yeah. Um, years ago, when I was in my 20s, uh, there was a documentary being made about fashion and disability, and I was asked. And again, it took me by surprise what they're talking about. I, I don't even think about pressure. I guess I go against it. Right. I, I'm in opposition to it because I won't conform to how society expects yeah. us to look. So, yeah, as a disabled person, maybe I, I am expected to look a bit dowdy. Maybe, you know, my hair should, is, you know, unusually. I, it, is, it is a style. It is, I can see. Um, but it isn't really. I think I, I, I just like I'm comfortable the way I look. Um, it's a bit boring. But <laughs> that's, how it is. that's not boring at all. I mean, but, very but, few people I think feel that way. 
Especially women. They don't tend to not feel comfortable with how they look. They don't. But how could I? I, I Most stopped, women don't feel comfortable with how they look. I stopped worrying about that years ago. Because it's all fucked up anyway. Yeah. So if I start to over it or oh dear, my nose is slightly, you know, not quite the right, quite crooked because of my scoliosis on my jaw. My teeth don't meet when I close my mouth. So that means it's like, what's the point? Why not? That, that's, maybe I, I think I do use those, all those things to my advantage. So in the work, I started to hone in on certain things. Play the victim, play the sort of. Uh, yeah, I am conscious of how society sees someone like me. They, they would, they could see somebody who had severe mental health, and if they had a choice, they'd probably still rather be the person who at least had their limbs all four limbs working. But yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. how society is. Yeah. Um, and that, so yeah, I am conscious. Yeah, well, but I don't wear my hair to make a statement. It is, it's evolved. You know, it's just how I like it. It's a bit like um, uh, all that. Have you seen her hair? Yeah. Uh, Rossio yeah, yeah, Oliver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. Um, but look at her. She defines all those. Yeah. I think maybe what it is is that maybe we are, like, just not giving a shit about what the society's expectations. Yeah. And therefore, we just take a... And you have to be strong in your personality to do that. And I know Russia doesn't give a damn. She does whatever she wants to do. Yeah. You know, she, she, she's amazing. And it's people like that that I find inspirational. If it is. <laughs> yeah. So it isn't really... It's not me trying to... It's just a strong identity, I think. But it isn't trying to... I think maybe, obviously, it means I'm not... I'm not concerned about being that touch. Yeah. Because of my hair. I mean, somebody says, your hair looks great. I think, that's nice. I, 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 I quite I like, I like compliments. Yeah. But some people shy away from compliments. Or it makes them feel awkward or whatever. So. Yeah. No, that's really good. It's really, yeah, it's really great. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. No, it's all really great. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it fits in with my theories very well. Yes. No, I don't rewrite my theories, so that's good. So I have two questions. And one is like, one is like going back to what you said. You stopped feeling self-conscious about that a long time ago or worrying about that a long time mm-hmm. ago. So I wanted to ask, like, why do you think you stopped worrying about it or how did you change? Like, what made, led you to change? Because well, you I, did I, I feel as a child, I was very conscious of how people used to stay at me. Yeah. And it used to make me feel really awkward and really self-conscious. And also, to point back, I could even talk to normal children, yeah, I found it really hard mentally to, to interact. Yeah. Um, and then I was actually placed in special schools, um, which was fine, but I, when I came out, when I, went, when I first went to Goldsmiths, if you remember, I, I did actually, I, I felt very self-conscious. Yeah. I had terrible time trying to communicate to 
to the students because I felt different. Yeah. So when you when you were there and I was there, I, I was a very different person to how I am. Yeah, but it's a process, isn't it? it yeah. It just be a process. And I think, I'm not saying I'm always confident, but it's probably only in the last few years where I just don't care anymore. Just, so the question was, when did it start to change? Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, like, because, like, your style of dressing and doing your hair. So when did you start doing your hair that way? Oh, yes, Why did you start doing your hair that way? I saw everybody was starting to put upside their hair at the time. I was like, oh, wow, I really want to do that. Again, I've got nervous to do it. When was this? This would have been when I was about 19, 18. Yeah. And, and... It seems that everyone that looked cool had props on her. Okay. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, I want to do that. So I did it. And then it just became too cool. Everybody had props on her. <laughs> so I had to change it. Right. I didn't want to be part of a friend, so I changed it to red. I see. And, I, and, and it took me ages to actually get this type of red, which is more like orange. Um, and, that, and that's that's where I, that's, so again, it, it it was a conscious, it was, it was, yeah, I guess it was a step from being quite self-conscious to wanting to look cool. Yeah, wanting to look cool. Exactly. Yeah. At, 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 at a young age. Where every, at Everybody age, wants to fit in them. Exactly. Yeah. And I just kept it up. I, I just, I would be, I'd be very depressed if my hair, I can't imagine my hair being the colour it is, because I don't really like the colour, the natural colour it is. I just, I just, I, I, I really don't like it. So I would feel, it's like the reversal. So if it was back to its normal colour, and I would feel uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be as it is now, which is probably voracious. And yeah, it wouldn't be you. It would be Yeah. I don't really like it when I see other people with red hair. <laughs> anyway, I also wanted to ask you about the whole like, oh, I I wouldn't want to be in the mainstream or performance art just stays in its venues and it stays in these closed environments and it's only it's preaching to the converted basically. Mm. That you know, is it really affecting social change? Is it really making change happen? Well, the thing is that I, uh, in these no, no, art I think for the same person, I think it's more of a challenge. Actually, but I do think being disabled, being anything other than the norm, whatever that is, is really popular, isn't it? It's like people, people, but you know, for me, I, I, for me, a lot of my work always used to happen within inside the ghetto, like disability festivals or opportunities for disabled people, and it's actually now managed to break past that. And so I do feel that I'm taking sort of disability representation to a new audience, and albeit they're a fine art, they're an art audience. However, they won't be so familiar with a uh, disability context. And so and I think people like vacuum um, cleaner, thoughts artist, mental health, uh, Martin O'Brien with his CF, uh, he, he, he's a PhD, um, and Daniel Oliver, dyspraxia. So you've got this like new sort of like 
group of like, sort of artists, live artists, who haven't necessarily been, well, they haven't been in the same sort of, they haven't lived the same dissonance experience as I have. However, they're still bringing another type of disability to the forefront of, of sports art. And I think that's really, it's a good thing. I think it, it opens it up. And, and even though their experiences are different to mine, it's still about disability. So I, I guess I've found a niche where I can present work that, that does take it to an extreme. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I would feel very, um, I think for me it would be very, um, I've chosen to maybe, uh, it's very hard to 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 show, present work. Is that, for example, I don't really show my brother my work mm. because he just wouldn't get it. Is that because he's stupid? He just he just wouldn't. He wouldn't get it. And it's yeah. Like, it's like well, as artists, surely we just push ourselves and push like-minded people. Yeah. It's like why should we be? the disciples of the world, you know, who yeah. are we to ultimately... But at the same time, everybody if you don't communicate outside of that bubble, then you're limited in how much change well, if you put it on that, if you put it on social media, then you, you will. Not, no, because only only your contacts are seeing your stuff. Well, it's still a bubble. It's still a bubble. That's the whole thing. Like, everyone was shocked by Brexit and everyone's shocked by Trump being elected because nobody talks to anyone who doesn't agree with them already. That's the problem. Not the approach. It's exasperating talking to people who. Did you know what I mean? why? And I did have to. It's it's really stressful. Mm. It's really, really stressful. I Mm. guess I choose to be around people that are. Gonna to have to elevate the way I think, not sort of suppress me. Yeah. I already live in an existence where, as a whole, society does oppress anyone that's different. Yeah. Mm. I'm so repressed. Mm. So maybe, and but what? So what was the other critique? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the we answer. Are not, we are not taking it to where we need to take it. Yeah, that we're not. Yeah, just that. Because we're staying in our own bubble, we're not we're not affecting change like the way we could. Yeah, for me personally, the only my, my own survival, I guess, in a world that is just so fucking fucked up is is to just keep, you know, pushing myself in the way that I think and subverting everything. The thing is that I think artists do take their work out into the public. So for example, Buttercut in Glasgow. There were lots of interventions going on within the public domain. And it's like you can't make people that are interested look at it. How do you do that? Mm. It's like, how, how do you do it? I don't know. And, but, but with Dark, I mean, we have created sort of fake stores. And, and I think there are, yeah, we did that thing years ago at... Um, at that university where they got them to sign by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are, there are, it's a lot that we, as artists, we... Yeah, you do, say. we do. We do. Yeah. You know, we do. We Public do. interventions and things yeah. like that. We do try that. Yeah. yeah.
Just to clue you in, DAG stands for Disabled Avant-Garde, which was a duo that Catherine was part of with the artist Aaron Williamson. The two of them made a lot of work together over the years, one of which was a public intervention, the piece was called Assisted Passage, at Birkbeck University, where Catherine dressed in really dowdy clothes, nothing like the way she dresses in real life, hiding her bright orange hair under a, a woolen hat. She, she played up her, her look to, to be as pathetic and victim-like as possible. And Aaron stood with a megaphone and, and screamed out... Please rest assured that Aaron Williamson does know that Zurich is in Switzerland, not Sweden, but it was all part of the joke, a joke that very few people in the public that day seemed to get because 37 people signed the petition against the budget airlines who were supposedly blocking her passage to visit the Dignitas Clinic in in Zurich. And yeah, so 37 people signed that petition and not one of them uh, asked or questioned why it was uh, or whether or not Catherine really wanted to enter life, which, of course, in reality, she did not want to do. So that was the premise. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, you were talking about the way I look earlier. I mean, I, I, yeah, maybe perhaps the way I look does, does you know, change, you know, does sort of challenge people's perceptions. You know, the public who don't know who I am or what I do, or you know, it will, you know, slightly, it will, it, you know, it, it's an alter, it's, it's something that doesn't quite fit into the stereotype of how they imagine a disabled person looks, possibly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, so I am doing my bit to society <laughs> to try to, I don't know. Is it all right if we switch gears here and talk about more specifically about the work you did around the topic of assisted suicide? It was was about highlighting how how ridiculous it was and how absurd it was, um, and, and, and this sort of ignorance and disbelief around believing that independence only comes through being able to physically do everything yourself. Which of course is bullshit. None of us do everything ourselves. Yeah. You don't. You don't sort of destroy your your yeah your when you when you recycle bin. I mean, you don't sort of like you don't personally get it down to a sort of powder or dust or, or turn it into something that can be reused again. So we all it's a whole chain, and we all are dependent on others for everything. Yeah. But obviously, depending on your situation in life, it it it. It, it will be higher. So, for example, somebody who has mental health issues, their dependency is going to be completely psychological support. I mean, people always have this, often is, is, the, is the say that, because I recently went on holiday and, and uh, there was somebody on there who was also disabled and he was somebody that had, he had had a really good job he had loads of money, and he used to run or kind of, he was the co-owner, founder of BHS, which went into liquidation, shut down, 
Good for years ago. However, he was also something that became disabled 20 years ago. And not ever having a direct conversation with him. So it's hearing it secondhand through PAs that I, the one PA who I work with as an artist, collaborate with sometimes. You know, he, he this guy, this guy that had become disabled and was able to ride around on a scooter and physically, you know, eat without assistance, etc., etc. Um, you know, his comments were, were to my PA, answers to PA, was, um, you know, how, I don't know how she does it, she is so brave. And that was just me eating and drinking and just doing normal things that you do on a holiday. It wasn't me like some, uh, you know, doing anything on ever, it was a harm. It was yeah. literally just, and so his narrative for me was also, and also other people on the trip were also saying to some PAs, oh, she, oh she's, she, I'm so inspired by her. And all I was fucking doing was going around like everybody else, eating as much food as I could, ramming it down my throat, against the bar and, 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 and having some drinks. I wasn't <laughs> doing anything outrageous. Right. Okay, I have, I have orange hair that sticks up. And I need assistance to, to bring everything even to get around the boat. And that those that was the commentary that sort of follows me. Right. So it's not vindictive commentary, but it's extremely um it's excruciatingly patronizing. And then one of my PAs was told me that one of the passengers etc. you really need to make sure that she covers up her arms because she's very sunburnt. So not in my earshot. So I was getting all this sort of right, like you're a child. Yeah, yeah. Or, or someone that can't look after or something. Like yeah. That. And so what I'm saying is that it sort of follows me. Is but the difference is that I just see it as material. Yeah. That will somehow one way or another, not directly possibly, just come out. Yeah. In the work. So it's that narrative that follows me around. Yeah. I think going back to assisted suicide, I think I put myself in the position of I was somebody who wanted to end my life, and which I absolutely didn't. So it was yeah. like parodying what was happening at the time. Yeah, or the, the perception that people might have of yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. But, so what was it, I wanted to ask you, like, what was it that first led you to do it? Like, what was the inspiration or the impetus behind the first time you... Well, it was really why it was really being quite alarmed as to what was happening in the media and and sort of this awareness that even such a thing existed because for years, you know, and still now, disabled people fought fought for equal rights and to to have independence, we had to be in control of their own lives, etc., etc., and you know, and those that are politicized. Very much from a, uh, a social model, uh, annual rather than a medical model. And suddenly everything had become topsy turvy and, and everything was in disarray because you know, I was witnessing disabled people themselves also uh, that were political, fighting to, to have the right to end their life. And it just made absolute no sense to me. And there also was a disparity between 
any levels of equality because it, they, they were fighting for disabled and quite terribly ill people to be able to do this. They weren't saying, well, actually anybody who wants to end their lives, there should be clinics, you know, all, yeah. you know like, readily available for people to end their lives. So it was very much a, 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 a targeted... Yeah. Back to say we don't terribly ill people. Yeah. And so that was what my that was my that's what I felt problematic. And then to get it, you know, watching Yeah, which isn't like it's it's counter to the argument of equality. Exactly. Yeah. It was very, there's a complete imbalance. And you know, and then watching you know, so-called victims or the, the way the paparazzi were it's like they became so sort of like, you know, thirsty to watch somebody end their life until eventually they did. Uh, you know, it has been previously documented right to the point where somebody has gone to do the task where it is legal yeah. to, to a clinic and, and to end their lives. And what was really... And they made a documentary, it was like on TV, wasn't yeah, it? I remember see, that. Yeah, yeah, documentary. And I think what was really appalling about it from the very beginning for me was just what she... In a way, like a mirror reflection. Somebody saying, well, I won't be able to curl my hair anymore. I won't be able to wash my face. And, and I, I just thought, well, I can't do that. Anyway, and, and why, why is it so? And, and also the, the ignorance around people not having a clue about, it just opened up so many things around. Like people not really able to sort of um, digest the difference between People still, I think, still, the public at large that don't meet or know disabled people, have somebody disabled in their, in their lives, don't understand the concept of being independent through assistance. Because what the, what the, what the media regurgitates all the time is, is documentaries that homing on people's lives where they have people dressed community nurses coming in and doing the rare, the rare basics and to, to the general public, that's how they seem to save people living their lives. And so it's no wonder that anyone that becomes disabled or diagnosed with a terminal illness, a majority of those people are in so much fear that they will want to terminate their lives prematurely. Yeah. And so it, it, I think it just opened up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, because because there, yeah, because there's so much ignorance around, you know, how, how yeah, how to live independently. Yeah, people don't yeah. know that actually people don't realise that being. I don't. I'm not saying everybody. I think there is still a huge amount of ignorance around that people don't believe that somebody who is disabled, and say disabled in the way that I am, I am in everything, everything. And so if I say to somebody, like for example, I, I, I saw my consultant last year, I see him every year, and he said, what are you doing at Christmas? I said, I'm cooking dinner. And again, he, he, and I get on with him really well. 
But just the fact that I say that as a as an ordinary normal thing, quote normal thing, without any you know, and to me that is what you know, if I say I'm cooking a dinner, I'm cooking the dinner. Okay, I'm doing it through PA, he's directing them exactly what pan to use, etc. etc. How much seasoning, blah blah blah. But people don't get it, they can't grasp it. If somebody comes around here for dinner, that invariably they might think, so who cooked it? Yeah, okay, yeah, we know you could do that. Who helped you? In the belief that it wasn't actually my cooking. Yeah. And so even though that might sound quite basic, it all it sort of forms the uh, the template to the work I make, I would imagine. Yeah. It has to. Well if you're always if 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 people if you are under, if if society doubts your abilities from the moment you're born, so in my case, because I've never experienced being able-bodied, but my mind is able-bodied, and so everything I do, I I don't expect to me. It's just a given. If I, if I say I'm cooking, it means I'm cooking. How I do it is is not really anybody's business, but the fact is that it's under. People can't digest that because they can see that I physically don't move. And so I don't know how helpful this is, but I think. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. But so, and I think that is, again, part part of many cleverness to my work. I but that's, I guess that's the thing. I feel like to be devil's advocate, I feel like the reason, um, the reason why the people were, you know, advocating for disabled people and terminally ill people to have the right to end their life is because they physically can't do it themselves, whereas, you know, able-bodied people can. Because I, I thought maybe oh, their argument, argument could be, I don't want to ethically implicate whoever's going to assist me. And that, I mean, that is the argument. And to be equal, they need, they need different... Um, Rights, you know, they need yeah, different yeah, I, treatment. I, I, you know what I mean? So, so I think that's the argument I behind. Think, I think the argument is that it's always engaged the assumption, the generic assumption that disabled people need help and absolutely everything. Yeah. So I'm just saying this assumption that, you know, and it is a huge, you know, the arguments that go for and against are, are really powerful arguments. I think that, yeah, I'm not coming from that perspective. I, 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 my, and to be honest, I don't really, I just feel that the whole, it, it's become so, so, it is a dangerous thing to happen, should it happen. That, I mean, there's, these questions of mortality and life and are in the news the whole time, for example, that baby that recently they turned the machine off. And so I, I don't want to get directly involved in those conversations because I think each, it's, 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 it's not, it's become so, so much of it and so, so many people chipping in that don't really know much about anything that it, it's become quite sort of, not, not a subject that I was so, that I want to particularly yeah. work on anymore because I feel that I've exhausted it and I I don't want my work to be seen as somebody who's trying to stop or 
or uh, Otter Forge. It it's just come to, it's come to an end for me personally because I just feel people, individuals, and groups of people are so strong-headed in their beliefs. It's impossible to to change, and I wasn't trying to change anybody. All I was trying to do was show the disparity and the absurdity of it in the relation to not being able to physically assist oneself without without the assistance through delegating and directing somebody else who's paid to assist you. And that was my... my so, so, okay, so you talked about the, what, um, what started, off, started it off, but I feel like it's less, for you, it's, in a way, it's less about the like, ethical debate around suicide as much as it, is, as it is about how people are going to perceive you on the basis of the fact that that is the predominant form of representation of someone like you, right? Is, is that I think correct? That's, that's quite good. Yeah. I, mean, to give, I want to say, we have say anything that sits outside of the pool. Okay, so yeah, that, that, that's a life not worth living, right? Exactly. Yeah, I see somebody who needs assistance in eating or moving, or but it, it's the it's the viewpoint that is it unfortunately isn't quite a generic viewpoint that affects all of us as individually. Yeah. And so the ethical questions around it will just go on forever. Yeah. And so I'm not really wanting to be engaged with that to, to, to how I was. Yeah. Because I, I feel that I'm useless in arguments. Somebody can say, oh, but what about you? Yeah, I'm not, I, I can argue, but I don't want to be... Yeah, so it's not about like saying it's not like yeah, it's not okay. preachy in that way. Yeah. It's more like it's the right seeds. It's it's basically crushing the whole. It's crushing equality. Yes, it's, it's literally you know crashing it to pieces. It it, it has a real you know ter- it has a real you know de- detrimental effect. On, on, on the society. Right. Uh, because it's basically saying... <laughs> yeah, because it's, yeah, it's basically yeah, just it's that sort of eugenics like exactly. argument. Yeah, totally. that life's not worth living. Yeah. Why should we support that life? Yeah. yeah. And it's also, it's also um, denial as well. It's denying the fact that, you know, a high percentage of... Everybody's now living to to the older. Everybody is going to need yeah, care. Yeah, I know. And society is so in denial of that. It's not rejecting it. It's like yeah. this. Yeah. It's like hiding it under the carpet. Yeah. And so it's it's those things. And that's how most people get when they're older. They just want to you know deny that they are anything's wrong. Yeah, my parents yeah. are, are fine examples of that. They will not accept assistance because their belief is that immediately they start having help, they lose, they lose their independence. Yeah. And so here's me as a person, their daughter. Yeah. And I can't influence them. Right. In any way. Yeah. You know, that was different for you. You right, you know. I can't influence them. Yeah. And that, this is, so I guess that's my argument, if I have one, which I do. It's just this sort of, uh, 
this perspective on anything that doesn't fit within a very narrow set of issues before. No, but the narrow confines of what is what's deemed to be, you know, not the norm. Yeah. And that that construct is so fucking narrow, it, it, it pretty much eliminates all of us. But everybody's in denial and in fact the transparency of it. So people believe that they fit within the norm. But actually nobody fits within the norm. Yeah. And there is no such thing as the norm. Yeah. So you're responding to this to the stories in the media about assisted suicide. I have, and you... I have done what I'm sort of no, I know. So you have no. I'm just trying to get to like, you know, like teasing out a bit more of the like what you did in the work and like what was the work about and stuff and what yeah, what was your like what were the strategies you were using I mean, I to address? Use, I, I used lots of strategies. So one was pretty much often using myself as the as the victim and like the video vlog was the first two things that I did and put them out there on YouTube. And was bombarded with uh, comments by religious people and people trying to stop me from wanting to ruin my life. And people really believing that it was what I wanted to do. Right. No Even one though, not, not getting the joke. People not getting no, the joke. No, yeah. apart from maybe uh, a couple of American Zerics and friends. But most people really believed in it. And, and so for me, that was actually quite successful. Because it meant that I, I played the role. <laughs> Right. And it was so interesting the amount of people that um actually hold on a minute. So yeah, I've heard, yeah, there are actually people who tried to stop me. Yeah. They weren't supporting it. So they were trying to say, you know, but the way they were trying to stop me was in a really in a really condescending Ways and they were sort of understanding how I felt, but at the same time trying to say, but you know, it's okay, you know. We so people were like very empathetic towards what I was trying to do, yeah. So it's really about like sort of, I mean, I think that there's a similarity between that and the playing the victim. I mean, there's a relationship because in a way mm. that someone who is considering assisted suicide is seeing themselves as a victim and is automatically like playing up to that sort of pathetic um, my life is so horrible. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's really related, isn't it? The, the website. Yeah. yeah, the crowdfunding thing because it's, take, it's t- playing on people's perception of you which you don't agree with, right? Which is very much what yeah. this, this is in suicide pieces are. It's like, mm-hmm. I know you're looking at me and thinking that I might as well kill myself, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm going to play up to that mm-hmm. idea in your minds. I'm going to make fun of you for thinking that, you mm-hmm. know? I'm going to make fun of the idea. Of, I think the idea... This is how, you know, and so, and this is like even more, it's like... It's, it's, like, it's taking it to another state. Yeah, because it's like, I'm going to take your money. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm taking, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to capitalize on your pity. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's very, it's like, it's I a mean, similar, that wasn't, that wasn't. darkly humorous, mm. um, 
Yeah. I mean, that wasn't how I construed it. It wasn't? Okay. I wasn't thinking. I think that's a really good... How, how did you construe it? Like, tell me what you... I just, I think how you at, saw it. It wasn't top. like that. <laughs> no, no, that's really, that's really interesting to hear. But I think for me, it was, it was, it was more like a personal thing. Because for me, I can't stand the way, you know, again, it's like looking at YouTube and looking at all these terrible images of people with disabilities, and in particular my disability and tear-jerking stuff and, you know, trying to raise money to find cures and all them doing very nothing extraordinary, but it becoming so inspiring and so amazing. And again, it's sort of this whole... It doesn't, it's not helpful. Yeah. And so for me, it was about, first of all, you have to have an, have an awareness and understanding of how people really see you, really see you, and then start from that point. Okay, so how did, all right, so how did you go about doing that, finding out? Well, obviously crowdfunding has become quite trendy. Yeah. Everybody's at it. And lots of disabled people are doing it as well, that one person is trying to find to buy a private prosthetic leg for her sister. And it's all just, you know, everybody's doing it. Yeah. Um, and I find the whole, I find that, that again, the sentimentality used to try to get money out of people is, like you say, it's very much pity-based. You know, the template is pity. It's like you engaging in that person but not seeing them as equal or a strong individual, but seeing them as somebody who needs your help. And your help will be in the form of donations that will then make you feel better. Right. Now, as an artist, I knew that some people would have to be able to see through the transparency of the and actually support it as an art piece. But for the sake of this crowdfunding, it has to be done in the way that I've set it up. I really drawing on pity. But in reality, I think most people that have funded it are just <laughs> the art community. Oh, really? So I don't know if that's successful or not. So that, I don't really get start scrutinising it. I just right. this is a this is crowdfunding. Yeah. Was to genuinely make enough money. Mm-hmm. To get a professionally, a professional, a professionally shot video. Yeah, that's that the idea. That but I thought that was a joke. No, that's for real. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, that will simulate a a, a music video that could be real. Okay, it's genuine in its content. Okay, and from that, it was then to put it out there and see what sort of reaction it generated. And then how are you going to get it distributed? Like well, that's the question. You see, the thing is, it's a real, it's a bit of a challenge here because it's like, how far do I want to take it? Do I really want to be invited onto the fucking warning programs? They always have a disabled person on there. Like, and, 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 you know, I don't know whether I'm brave enough to take it to that extent where I would really be saying this is this is how I feel. But part of me thinks actually if so, so, it, so this is how you feel like is 
So the songs you, that you've written. The songs that I've written as a complete. Is it, um, is it like what you actually think? Or no, absolutely not. No, okay, no, no. so it's sarcastic. It, it's really, really dire. And it's really shit. And I've got a proposal to all the, all the... So it is a joke. It, it's, it's a parody of what already exists. Okay. In, the, in America and here as well. There are motivational speakers, some of whom are disabled, and the trigger point for this was I saw this guy, and he is a evangelist, as well as a disabled person with no legs or arms, and he goes around preaching all over the world, and basically he's basically, look at me, I'm disabled. You can do anything, I can look at me. Catherine was an avid collector of the kinds of representation that she was critical of. So here's a clip from her files of the evangelist preacher that she just mentioned. That's Nick Wojcik when he appeared on Oprah. And it gives you a clearer sense of exactly what she was responding to. Being born without arms and legs, man, it's all about choice. You asked me what it was. I had parents who were my heroes. They always said, you, you can either be angry for what you don't have or be thankful for what you do have. Do your best and God will do the rest. And consciousness, because I gave my life to Lord Jesus Christ and the renewing of my mind, I knew that I could be unstoppable. And then he did this music video, which was just absolutely horrendous. So I thought, right, I'm going to do a music video as well that is a complete me being this inspirational character in it. And here's a short excerpt from that song. Yeah. But that's the whole fucking idea. It has to come across as real. Otherwise, people just simply go, 
You use yourself in a lot of your work and you do a lot of video blogs. But it's never like it's always there's always some some specific tactic you're taking that you've decided on in advance. Right? I mean you're never just like presenting yourself as you feel yourself to be, like in an earnest, you know, truthful true, way. True. Yeah. That's true. It's always that would that ever appeal to you to do that? Uh, Why not? Because it's too preachy, you think. You'd end up being preachy and then people would switch off. I don't think for me personally, it's far more interesting Mm -hmm. to present whatever it is I do within within a persona. Okay, so I, I, and again, I don't believe that I am, you know, I don't want, I'm not the guru of disability or, you know, I, I've created my own agenda and my own discourse and my own way of thinking. And okay, I've picked up bits and pieces along the way just by living. Right. And so I feel the only way to, it's about reinventing the whole time. And a representation, but in a different way. So, for example, you get a lot of disabled bloggers who are seeing themselves as spokespeople for disability, or the sort of a role model, a positive role model. And again, it's so it's so shit and so bad that I feel compelled to come along and alter the reading so that people don't quite know. How to read it. Yeah. And again, I just think by being in it changes people's perception. They can't, it changes. I've seen a lot of disabled people working and they're just talking about their life and, oh, I've got this new gadget. And I, I'm not saying it's wrong to do it, but it does fulfill a, a, a mainstream stereotype. So I, I go against those. Stereotypes in a, in a natural, I just can't help myself. It's just a natural thing for me to do. So but have you ever seen like a, a representation of disability that you actually thought was good? Well, Never. Yes, that would be absurd. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But also, it's like, can it ever be just represented where it's a non issue or it's just about. These are all the questions that yeah. what else? It's like the phenomenon of colorblind casting. It's like uh, where you cast people regardless of their race because you think they're right for the role, you know, or they sex do. blind casting. They, they, do, know, they do that at the National Theatre quite a lot. Oh, yeah. And I, again, I think it's. Are, I think do they it works. really do disability blind casting? And, um, I, I think they, they started to. Okay. Um, a few. Associates that I know that have been. So, because it's representation mainstream. then, but it's not, it it's not about disability, it's just about, it's just. There was one piece where I saw a piece where uh, someone that I know, a Facebook friend, and she was in a national theatre production, and it was nothing to do with disability, and she was just there. So, she's uh, a restricted growth person. And so, there were things that had to be done for her to be able to get onto the table and move around, blah, blah, blah. And, and they integrated her amazingly well. 
and it wasn't anything to do with Dismity. And the focus was on her. She was part of the group of dynamics. Okay, so there you go. There are some. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't think you can contribute in, in that way of like... Well, that's mainstream, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it's learning a script and, and also you're not in control of it. Somebody else has written the script. Somebody else is directing you. Yeah, with, with being an artist, you're very much... You've got all the, all the control, yeah. So totally. Yeah. And, you know, I don't even begin to, to... To try to explain to people where I'm at nowadays, where I think that will probably take forever. So that's why it makes more sense to just either if I collaborate with somebody in shop, I will sit down and let them listen to what their idea is and go along with it. And it doesn't necessarily have to, it might not be necessarily a disability agenda, and I'm okay with that. But if it's my own work, it's important to have so much aware, acute awareness of so many things. And, it, and it also, I guess it all. It all forms part of the work, but without me necessarily explaining it, it it's just there. Mm. It exists. It's like you coming from New York and your your identity. You might not expose it, but you, it's there. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to that interview with Catherine Raniello. I hope that it fuels your interest in her work and you'll go on to discover more on her YouTube channel. Again, the link is in the show notes. If you found it hard to make out everything that we were saying, there is a transcript available on Buzzsprout, or on my website. There's a link to it in the show notes. Next time on Multiple O's. Next time on Multiple O's. Next time on Multiple O's will be the first of many interviews of the second season of this very podcast. And it will be all of the best bits from my Instagram residency at Mimosa House London, which is a gallery in London, which gave me a residency for which I carried out 20 interviews with artists based in London, New York, and Los Angeles. So I will be airing them via the podcast because... Some of you may not be on Instagram, and or, or some of you may have uh, the kind of attention span that I have on Instagram, which is that you're just looking at the feed and the latest thing, and you're not searching through the back catalog of the people you follow to watch hour-long videos. <laughs> That's just not what that platform leads to. So I'm hoping that these interviews can have a new life via the podcast in season two while I work on brand new interviews for season three. Something to look forward to. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the series, please support me via patreon.com slash Oriana Fox. And even if you don't, I'll go on accepting myself unconditionally. Oh, accepting oh, 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 
my life and other people unconditionally as well, and I hope you do too, because we're all just fallible human beings.